0: Hello, hello, listeners to the Third Way Podcast. I love stories. Uh, my whole life growing up in particular, stories along with music were sort of a, a salve or a respite from trauma and drama and shit. And so I was blessed to have great storytellers with my, my grandfather, uh, my Uncle Don, uh, many others over the years. So I always have a love for stories. And I always admire people that have the ability to capture a story in whatever medium, whether that's, you know, uh, a song, a book, a poem, or video. And I haven't explored the medium of film or video much on this podcast. And so I was excited, I'm excited to introduce to everyone one of my favorite people. We met in a very serendipitous way um, for a 4th of July fireworks display in a uh, in a driveway of a house, <laughs> uh, I don't know, like six years ago, and so I'm joined today by Vanessa Reiser. Vanessa is a Austin-based uh, documentarian and filmmaker. I'll link to her information in the show notes, but I would point specifically to a couple of things. Her work with an amazing documentary on Parkinson's, um, and also d- she's doing some really awesome work with the University of Texas' social uh, pro- social work program, and. I could have think of no better person to have on to talk about the medium of video with storytelling but also just storytelling in general. So welcome Vanessa.
1: Thanks Justin. This is exciting. We get to do, do chat.
0: Do you remember do you remember how we met? Do you remember that?
1: I do. I yeah. do. It was July 4th and it was yeah. at my brother's house. Yeah. I think
0: 2017 a- or I'm thinking. So, but anyway, so we've been friends ever since and um, you've done projects for, for when I was with Root and River, you've done projects with some of our clients you are doing a project now for one of my clients. And so, um, anyway, but that's not why I'm having you on. I had you on because you have this gift of the ability to, to what I'm calling this episode, see the story. Mm-hmm. And before we get into the questions I sent, I'm just curious about when did you know that you had this gift and you had this ability to see a story and then Second part of that is why did you choose, or maybe it chose you, but why did you cho- choose film as the medium to capture the stories that you see?
1: That's a great question. I think it happened the other way around. I think I chose the medium of film to more so depict images because my background okay. actually as a teenager was in photography. Um, And I loved capturing um, moments like individual moments um, and mostly street photography. Mm. Um, And, but then I decided I wanted to segue into using film as a medium instead. Um, And I think, so yeah, I kind of started more visually and then in other parts of my life, I've just always loved interacting with people and meeting new people and get, getting into conversations and asking them questions and um, getting to know people. So I think at some point, um, those two um, interests merged. And I can't pinpoint when that was, but it definitely goes back to a deep interest in in people and human hmm. beings.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting point. And you once said to me that the difference between somebody that shoots video, uh, somebody that shoots video is holding the camera and a documentarian is telling the story. And I think that that's metaphorically true in life as well. I think there's a lot of us, and I do this sometimes too, where we're kind of living through our camera and trying to capture these moments. And that's great, I suppose, you know, I'm glad I have them to look at, um, but you miss a lot of things. You miss the story. Um, and so that, that you're using video in, in this in now as a extension of the story not as just a way to capture something and I think that's fascinating yeah um, I
1: mean for me I never want the equipment to get in my way that's a yeah. big deal right people can spend such a long time just with the year and setting up the shot and figure out the light and getting everything in order and that's all important right? You need everything to look good and sound good and everything. But I never want that to be more important than what's happening between me and another person. Um, mm. Because that's, that's the heart of the interaction. And I think that's, that's what's exciting about documentary filmmaking is that you you have the gear, like you've made all the conscious choices about what you're going to do and how you're going to film it. And then you have to let go of all of that and let it unfold. Because those moments you have with another person or people are so crucial. Mm-hmm. And, um, you don't want to lose that connection ever um, because the second you've lost someone um, because you're focusing more on gear or any of it, mm-hmm. you, you really lose, you lose a moment um, and you might yeah. Again, you kind of lose that that thread of connection with another person who's maybe choosing that moment to be deeply vulnerable, or they're about to be deeply vulnerable, and you don't want anything to get in that way. So for me, it's really about being present with another person, and, mm. and um, not it's not about the camera or the lens or any of that stuff. Um, mm. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Cool. Well, that kind of goes to the first question: is in is that how do you? Okay, let me give some context here. It seems like some of us are born aware of this eye, the eye for story, seeing the story. It's like an inherent gift. Um, and some of us uh, are don't don't realize we have it. I think we all have it. It's all in, in like, because creativity is all in us. Maybe not within the medium, the same medium all the time, but seeing the story is, is kind of an intrinsic trait of, of being a human. But it does require, it seems like, some training of the mind. So how do you do that? Like, how would you, if you were going to do a a workshop, let's say, on noticing stories and training your mind, because the mind is so programmed for speed and efficiency and a bunch of other things that are sort of an antithesis of story capture. I like to describe it this way. The mind is programmed to create white claw when the soul is programmed to create bourbon you know, and it's a very different process. And I'm, so I'm curious about that. Like, how do you train? And I use train as a loose term. How do you teach your mind to slow down and see the story?
1: That's a really good question. You definitely have to slow down. You definitely have to slow down. Um, wow. I guess, well, in, in, in any project I'm, I'm diving into, I always do research. So if it's about a topic or a person, before I even jump into it or or have a first interview, I'm I'm wanting to come to the table knowing a little bit about the person or, or their work or, or you know, whatever it is. Um, so that I'm already curious. Um, and I think for me, it's I mean, it's all about curiosity, right? And And you have to tap into the curiosity about the individual subject before you dive into it. So you know why you're there. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm being hired to be somewhere, if someone's hired me to do something, I still need to want to be there. I need to, there needs to be something about it that I'm genuinely curious about. And then when I find that nugget or nuggets, then I can show up and I'm being authentic when I'm asking mm-hmm. questions and I'm not just trying to, you know, check off boxes. So, so that's the first thing. And then, you know, once, once you start with that and you're, for instance, I'm talking mostly about interacting with people and telling stories of people in this mm-hmm. scenario, but I think once I have that moment when I'm interviewing someone where they trust me that I am genuinely curious about them Mm -hmm. Um, and we get past the nerves of, you know, everyone being self-conscious about, you know, um, you know, does my story matter? Like, is it like, is it actually that interesting? Once everyone gets past that, then we can really dive into connection. But it, but, but for me, it's really like, it's almost like finding that way in the door, to earning that trust Mm. so that I have the connection where someone is going to really, um, open up and share. And, and so that, that takes a little bit of time and, and, um, effort. So patient, yeah, it's all about patience. Like, like you said, you have to slow down, um, Mm -hmm. and again, find the place where you're genuinely curious about something or someone.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Um, what, what I've noticed is noticing, you know, Andy Adams, at the Andy Andrews has a book, The Noticer. Um, and it's this gift of, you know, this is why I like walking or I'd rather walk than drive. If I could, if I can, and I would rather drive than fly if I can, um, because it, it amplifies the noticer in, in, in us. And um, I also think that if the if you I love what you said about curiosity too, and there's this sense that of, of of the rush that it's hard to go fast and be curious at the same time. Um, and if we're trying to live our life more as a story and less as like a machine, then we have to be more deliberate and intentional about that that slowing down or getting present. Um, and I think also everybody has a story. Every person you interact with has a story. And, um, what I try to do is, you know, I like, to, I notice things all the time. I, you know, I have ADHD. So my mind's always like, well, that's different. You know, like the strange, like pattern disruption things. Um, but with people, I want to know their story. I want to know a little bit about them. So I try to interact with anyone, especially if they have a name badge. So like last night I was at the grocery store and the cashier, that H-E-B, I asked the cashier, how are you how are you doing? I think his name was John. I said, how are you doing, John? He goes, I'm tired. And I said, oh, when do you get off work? And he said, 930. And I said, well, that's a long way to go because I was like five. And he goes, oh, I'm not really tired from work. I'm tired of some things going on at home. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And there, there's a story there. Like I wasn't going to pry, but I think that I think a lot of it too, Vanessa, is that we, in order to see the story, you have to open your heart. It's not just a technical skill. You have to open your heart. You have to, you have to feel into it. And that's terrifying for a lot of people, um, to, to open their heart to in that moment. And, and, but when we do it life is different. It's a very different pun intended lens um, that we see that we see things through. So this is kind of, obviously, these are kind of related and, and you have the gift of both the eye of the story, but then the technical skill of telling that story in a in a unique way is what is your process for turning something you notice into a story or Maybe I'll ask it this way too, is that you, you notice the story and you're like, ooh, I need to shoot this. I need to turn this into something. What, what's some of your process related to that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And it definitely varies based on the project and based on the length of the project, especially. So for instance, for a short video, you have less time um, to, to take your time and to show and to tell everything. In a, in a longer format, you can let there's more room for, for breath and taking time and and letting a moment unfold uninterrupted which is my ideal right but um i think that's a really great question depending on the project i mean yeah it's a it's a visual medium so my my question to myself is always what are the visuals going to be right so like if if i'm sitting down and interviewing someone clearly i want the interview to look nice and the ideally the location of the interview is meaningful in some way. So right. it helps to tell the, that story. So whether it's a person's home or their office or somewhere that is connected to them or their story, I'm paying attention so that that can help me tell the story. Um, and then other, otherwise visually, you know, it, it, um, I always, I like to work with people, Um, and, and document them in in real moments of their lives, whatever, whatever that is, that's, that's going to reflect something about them. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are some of my favorite moments to use where we're not, you know, where it's very informal, where they're not being interviewed, where we're, we're hanging Mm -hmm. out or they're engaged in something and you, and you get, you know, you start to get a feel for how they really are when there's no camera there. Because that's Mm -hmm. the ideal, right? We want to pretend like the camera's not there and we're seeing something that, um, something real. So it really, I really have to um, spend time getting to know someone and talking to them enough to have an understanding of visually what would help tell their story. And in, 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 in my medium, you know, that's everything from using video to using, you know, archival photographs mm. which can also tell a story or sometimes um, we illustrate with just words on screen like sometimes that that's pointy and enough um, or you know in other kinds of projects animations help tell a story but mm. and then there's music right um, mm. you know everyone loves music and music can make or break um, a situation or really just change the the tone of it so but you know, you're asking me how I make these decisions. Um, it's a good question. I I I don't, um, I don't know that I have like a step-by-step process. But I think I'm just always trying to tune into the person's energy and the energy of the product I'm trying to create. Right. Um, and so it's really a combination of all these different elements that all mm. come together when I'm editing. You know, because that's a whole other
0: yeah. Piece. Well, you know, I've seen you work a little bit, and I know you quite well. And I think that what you did first is you learned how to get present first. I mean, you you're a yoga, you know, you do you are regular yoga. Are you are you a yoga teacher too? Do you have your? No, surgery? I'm just okay. a
1: practitioner of yoga. Yeah, but like a
0: but like a dedicated practitioner yeah. and a dedicated practitioner of meditation and and a, a dedicated practitioner of self growth. And I do believe there's this, you know, that Jesus said, blessed are the pure of heart. So for they shall see God. And you take the, make that more secular is that if you have a pure heart, because you're grounded in your heart, you're going to see the divinity of others. Mm -hmm. And then when you do that, kind of like Rick Rubin talks about in his, his book, or Stephen Pressfield talks about too, is that the, the, the universe, the cosmic cosmic force of creativity kind of moves you from point to point to point. And then there's this knowing of like, ah, oh, I don't think that's right. And then the courage to go, we need to reshoot that. Or someone saying, well, that angle is not how we would normally do typically do this. And you're like, I know, but that's the angle that the story needs or whatever. And I think you could take all of that and apply it to any medium. For me, my medium is writing primarily. And, when I, you know, I don't, I'm not a story writer. I tell some stories in my writing, but I think like a storyteller, I think like a a, a, um, a story writer. And so one of the things is that I, I keep an Apple note and it's kind of this process. I have an Apple note of potential topics to write about. And I, and I have like a top five. And if I'm not interested a week after writing it down, I move it down into what I, call, like, I think I call it like the storage bin or something like that. And it's still in there because you never know, you might use it for something. And I think the other thing that I do to convert sort of ideas into essays or, or, or podcast episodes is, um, is I, I see what I have some, a sense of excitement about. Um, I, I tend to gravitate towards that, which makes me feel a little nervous or vulnerable. I like that feeling. Um, I need that feeling. And if creativity is of the soul, then I got to listen to that. So I don't really do anything. How to anymore. Sometimes I do how to, um, I definitely don't write about or talk about anything I haven't experienced or can't experience. Um, you know, from a standpoint of whether it be, you know, I don't have, I don't write about my opinion, for example, on like, um, what it's like to be black in America, I will talk about systemic issues because I understand that part of it a little bit more, but all of it is, is all of it is this, this sense of feeling your way through it. And again, if you're disconnected from your heart, you're going to miss the story. It's just, you know, it's not even going to feel like a story. It's going to feel like something that's happening. And that's the, that's the, this is the thing that happened, but it doesn't feel like a story until you connect to your heart. Hundred uh, yeah.
1: percent, no, a hundred percent. And again, to me, that goes back to the notion of you know when I'm when I'm working with someone on a project or someone who's agreed to be in it in a in a project I'm working on. That is, I feel like it's my duty to earn their trust, and mm-hmm. and because they're trusting me. I mean, to sit in front of someone's camera and talk is really hard, <laughs> and it's really vulnerable so right out the gate, they're doing something hard. And most people I've, I've interviewed have never been in front of a camera before. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really hard. So I feel like it's really important for me to show up open hearted, like you're saying, Mm -hmm. um, where, you know, I'm showing a part of myself too. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and all of it, again, like all of, all of my energy when I'm engaging with someone really is heart driven because I genuinely care. And again, I go, that's part of my process. I have to go into it finding with something that I really care about. That's, that's real, you know, and I'm not there just because someone's paying me to be there. Cause a lot of times I'm not getting paid to be there.
0: (laughs) Right. Right?
1: So I think for me, it's just, I, I have this belief that you know everyone matters right like Mm -hmm. everyone has a a story to tell and it might not be conventionally like what you know we see on the big screen in the theater but i mean everyone in some way is going to be fascinating to other people yeah you know and i and i really really believe that um And, and I think, I think for me, when I, when I get to a point where I'm talking to someone where they, where they realize that I'm, I am really engaged and I'm really interested and they just go for it. Like that makes me so happy. I feel that joy of like, wow, they're really sharing something big about themselves and it's so cool.
0: Yeah, that is cool. I like the way you said that. So what does... How does having a storytelling eye impact other areas of your life? You know, you, you're, you're more than a documentary, you're a documentarian or a filmmaker, you're a mom and you're a friend and a family, you know, a sister, daughter. Like, how do you, how do you see this storytelling eye influencing other areas of your life that don't involve, you know, a camera?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I love this. Um, I've been thinking about it since I got your email with these questions. And I think obviously it helps me in every single one of my relationships Mm. um, because I think I've become more empathetic over time, you know, because of experiencing, um, getting to know people from all different walks of life um, for different reasons. Um, I think it goes both ways though. So I definitely think it's, it's definitely helped my parenting because i've learned part of the interview process when you're recording an interview on video as the interviewer you almost never hear my voice when i edit it so i have to learn to shut up right and someone's talking i can't talk over them like i can't say i can't cut them off i let people talk until they're done and that slowed me down as a listener to really be engaged in listening and i think as a mom i've gotten better at that with my kids when It goes back to the whole, like, sometimes when someone's talking to you, they just need to vent. Mm -hmm. They just need to share their story of their day and they're not looking for anything other than someone to listen to them and and hold that space. So I think it's, I think I've kind of um, strengthened those muscles as a parent, but then I think, you know, as things that I've grown, things that have grown in me as a parent have also helped me as a filmmaker. Yeah. Uh, And and all the same categories, you know, being empathetic and understanding and slowing down and all of those things. So I think I think it's just helped me be more compassionate overall.
0: Um, Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I for me. um, You know, writing is. It's a form of expression. It's it's like the final step. It's not the first step. I don't, I hardly ever sit down and go, what am I going to write about? It's like, I'm always paying attention. And I think that's the thing that shifted for me, especially this year. um, And over the last couple of years. Um, And one of the things I noticed is I just see beauty a lot more. I see beauty in unconventional ways and conventional ways. And sometimes I just see beauty, you know, as if it were new with Shoshin, you know, the beginner's mind almost heard fresh eyes every day. And there's something then about the, what it does to you neurologically that it, 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 it brings it, it brings novelty to your mind. Like it triggers dopamine actually to see that way. And so. Um, I think it also has helped me be a better communicator of what I'm trying to say. I had an old mentor years ago at Ingle used to say, Justin, you talk until you figure out what you're saying. And so writing because it's a structure, it's got a framework, you know, it's got you know it's 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 not super rigid for me, but it's it's got a framework. And so if I am learn I learn how to articulate what I'm saying. Um and I also think that writing has made me um ask better questions to of people, you know, or in conversation. And I, you know, I've written, I've been a writer for years, but most of my writing up until maybe January of 2020 was kind of conv- either like opinion pieces and, or like convincing pieces, like trying to convince people of my position. And that's a form of like domination. And I don't, I don't do that anymore. Like I, I want to ask questions. I want to notice beauty, and and I want to articulate it in a way that people feel. And this is an interesting thing for me is that they feel heard by the words that I write. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing the words, but they feel heard, and to me that's success. And when I get that email, and I I, I wrote uh, to this is uh, it's Juneteenth, it's June nineteenth today, 2023 and this week's essay is on um it's called um, it's about stopping the fixed justin machinery and i got a note um, a few minutes after i posted it from a, a friend saying this was perfect timing i needed to hear this thank you for the reminder if i was just writing because i was writing because it was a task or i was writing because i needed the applause you know somebody to go oh that's really good justin or i was writing because i was getting paid to write you know like a copywriter I don't know that I would do it that way. Um I yeah, so it, it, it's it's this there's something about the soul that when it notices something different, if it notices something beautiful, if it notices something original that it we we have to turn it into something. For you it's 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 film and for me it's words, but I think that's true with anybody is once you find your medium. Um so I have a question that I didn't send to you. So we're going to be extemporaneous <laughs> here. So, so, and I'll answer it too. What, so what would be the ideal budget if you were going to do like a really kick-ass documentary? What would be the ideal budget? Like what would be the number that you would want somebody to write you a check for?
1: Oh my gosh. That's such a hard question to answer. Cause of course, then I go all into like details of like, yes. well, it depends on this yeah, or, yeah, this, or this, this or this or this. Right. It's, I, I mean, Oh a million dollars.
0: A million dollars. Okay. Let's go with that number. So someone gives you a million dollars and says, <laughs> you have full creative license to create the most killer documentary you you've ever created. What would you do it on?
1: So I actually, okay. So right now I'm wrapping up a documentary feature link documentary about young onset Parkinson's disease mm-hmm. for Austin PBS. Um, and you know, I'll hopefully be wrapping it up by the end of the summer. And I have been, people have been asking me like, what's going to be the next topic. And I've been saying, I don't know, sometimes it just falls in my lab. I'm not sure, but, but I'm percolating on this idea and it's just coming together. And I don't, it's not specific, but I want to do something involving Mexico mm. and the country of Mexico, the people of Mexico the relationship between Mexico and the United States. And, and, but it's obviously, for me, it's going to be about people. And there's so many stories in there that I'm curious about because I feel like our countries have such a unique dynamic and relationship. Um, and there's something I want to do and I don't know what it is. That's just where I'm starting. It's yeah. fast because it's that a feeling country, but it's a, it's a feeling. It's a feeling. I'm being pulled to Mexico. And um so yeah, that's that's where I am with it right now. Any ideas are welcome. (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's 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 cool. And yeah, I think that as a white person talking about a relationship with, you know, a, a Latin American country or or any, you know, any other country, I think that's an interesting take. Um that's not for you, I know you, it's not gonna be like the white savior thing, or it's not gonna be like uh it's gonna it's gonna have this this sense of generosity and curiosity like you do with everything else if i had a million dollars or somebody gave me a million dollars to documentary, I'd hire you to shoot and i even got a title for it to a working title called the red dirt revolution and it would be about how texas country artists are changing country music they saved country music from going into the pop country abyss you know uh, stapleton stapleton gets credit for some of this and a few and a few others you know luke luke combs but they weren't the ones that created the 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 return of country music back to traditional radio there's still shitty pop country out there but and so you know i think of these these bands that many of them do not have a record label and they are world famous and or they are they they sell out um you know arenas you know not like football stadiums but like big big venues and so from like um you know some of the more famous ones would be like Miranda Lambert who's already famous but she's part of that scene of bringing more of that Texas sound back to country music or the Randy Rogers band where you have these guys they do they are signed late record deals but they're they've kept their artistic integrity like Cody Johnson or Parker McCollum or Co Wetzel and what's fascinating to me is that Texas country is like three different kinds of music sometimes they blend uh-huh. Sometimes it's rock guitar with a fiddle. Sometimes it's steel, you know, with uh, with a uh, with uh, with the you know acoustic guitar or a piano. But I don't think people realize how much Texas music to the Texas influences the rest of the music industry, especially when it comes to country music. So that's what I would do.
1: So oh my God, I love that idea. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah. Yeah. So get, get the million dollars and yeah. <laughs> all in. Yes, we do. Exactly. It. And I think like,
0: wouldn't it be fun to like it's the interviews, you know, you get to interview, you know, let's say you're gonna interview um uh, you know, Randy Rogers is an example, but then the live show and the behind the scenes and the negotiation, you know, of how they do what they do. Um, I don't know, I just also we I get to hang out with musicians which I would just fanboy like I would unapologetically <laughs> fanboy in those moments.
1: <laughs> that's amazing. So. Well and also to like work with this theme that there's this that there's this thread that that ties them all together and
0: right.
1: w- what is it about being in Texas and the music that comes from Texas that that what like what what do they all have in common in that
0: yeah. way? Well in this and really cool. this sense too of there's no they don't compete there's no like, you know, it's not like in some, you know, in pop music or rap music where there's these like, you know, enemies or something. In Texas country, everybody, everybody supports everybody, and um, you know, and so somebody like, um, like our Parker McCollum, who's a young guy, uh, um, who gets a record deal and goes on, and I think he's had like four number one songs. Uh, Cody Johnson won Entertainer of the Year in the CMA Awards. Wow. Everyone applauds them. No one's like, oh, how do they get a shot at it? Now, if they sucked, I think it would be different. But Texas <laughs> Country, because it's not made in a studio, it's uh, made on the road. Yeah. It's made in it's made in a in a in a part in a in a house with an acoustic guitar and a MacBook, you know, and and then you take it on the road and then you see how the audience responds to it, and then you get in the studio. And 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 I because it's so organic. It's not allowed to suck. It's like barbecue. You, you can't suck wow. at barbecue in Texas, or you'll go out of business. You know. Oh no. So, anyway, so
1: that says a lot about the fans too, and how much influence the fans have on the music. Because if, right. if someone's just kind of trying something out from show to show, and they're and they're basing the final product on the feedback that they're mm-hmm. getting, that means the fans have a have a role in the creative process, which is kind of cool too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Another under another similar thing is how much um, Texas is become the hotbed for stand-up comedy. you know, from Joe Rogan's new stand-up club that opened to you know these venues and it's become like this place that everyone like Austin in particular, it's a many in fact if you watch Netflix specials, uh-huh. many of them are filmed in Austin um, now Paramount. and at, uh, at the Paramount or Moody or ACL Moody ACL downtown, um or vulcan um you know there's a few of those um and i think like how cool is that cuz it's a similar thing it's raw it's like here's you and a microphone just like a country singer it's like you you and a bar stool and a, an acoustic guitar and if you can get everybody to shut the fuck up because you're good, <laughs> you're good you know you're not background music and you're not background comedy you're like right there yeah. and i think that's cool too
1: so what does that say about Texans that we're, we have a good sense of humor, but we're also edgy enough to appreciate stand-up comedy. Like what's the, what is? yeah, I about? think,
0: I think there's this sort of outlaw, you know, Texas is far more purple than people realize. Mm-hmm. And um, I think uh, Ted Cruz is about to realize that with the, with Colin Allred running against him. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's this sense of sort of outlaw progressivism that's always been here. I mean, you go back to, the original outlaws, the Towns Van Zant and Willie Nelson and Waylon Jennings and um, Chris Christofferson who wasn't from here, but toured, you know, extensively here. Um, and all the way back to Elvis, uh, you know, um, that there's this sense of like, where art meets outlaw meets progress. And mm-hmm. so if you got shit to say or shit to sing about, there's a home for you in Texas for that. Um, and it's less, constructed than say California or New York. New York comedy clubs are still the main, like, you know, they're the crucible for comedy, but Texas has got something going on. And I I do think we have a sense of humor down here. Um, How can we not when we have, (laughs) when we have some, some of the governors that we've had over the years or some of the like strange, like weird ass cultures between the various, you know, corners of the state. you gotta have a sense of humor it's gonna (laughs) you gotta hurt yourself
1: i know i know my god that's absolutely true it's such a crazy place sometimes
0: (laughs) (laughs) but crazy crazy makes art no crazy no art you know right boring places don't produce art let's just put it that way
1: there you go
0: um so well that's a good place to stop thank you for doing what you do Thank you for um, living what you're here to do as an example to your kids and to your friends. Um, I admire that about you very much that you are all in with this thing that you've been called to do, and um, I know you're going to be super successful at it. So
1: thank you, Justin. This was fun. It was fun having this chat with you. I love our yes, chat it was. As always. Me too.
0: Yeah. Just like we do when we're in person, we just record this one. So
1: I know. This is like a tad bit scarier, but but it was okay.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Justin.